welcome to In at the End, episode four. Episode four. Meadowlands. Um, let's talk about. It. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna talk about it. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I believe there's some themes that start to be introduced. Let's start with the dream sequence. Okay. That's something that happens right off the top of this episode and becomes such a key part of The Sopranos, I think it's interesting to see how it starts. So what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, well, this is probably not the main idea, but I feel like he often has dreams when he's sleeping at Irina's. Hmm. That didn't cross my mind. Uh, I, yeah, I think the a later dream okay. with a fish right. also happens at her house, and I feel like there's another one even. I, I want to keep tracking that. Okay. Yeah. That's a good but thing to look at. But it's kind of for. besides the point. I think one thing that this show does that's really fascinating is that I feel like plot development points happen within the dreams, mm. which is such a kind of different way of approaching development from a writing angle. I think typically we're so used to kind of being hammered over the head with what's about to happen and how it happens. But in the show, it always kind of unfolds through this subconscious way. It's crazy. And I think, so for instance, in this example, we kind of see Jackie being sick and the fear of Jackie dying. And then Jackie does die in this episode. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the show does later on too. We have these kind of major pivotal moments and the development of the story happen through these kind of subconscious means. Right. Well, we don't, in the, in the end, like we're not there when Jackie does die, right? Even right. though they're there earlier in the day or, yeah. or, or the day before, I guess. Yeah. Um, we're not actually Which, there. We're, yeah, we're not there for And it. so we do. We live that through the dream sequence in some ways. And that too, I think that does play into this. It's so interesting in this show how nothing's really obvious. Everything kind of happens. So many, you have so many important things happening off screen. It's mm. a very kind of unique approach to unfolding a story. Mm. It's very anticlimactic. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that after. I want to just go back to the dream sequence thing. Um, I think it's interesting, the framing of this show, like the fact that they use dreams so much because there is this focus on, you know, psychiatry or psychology, if you want to put it there, right? Which, you know, in a Freudian way, focuses a lot on dreams, puts a lot of mm -hmm. emphasis on dreams. So I think it's interesting that that's kind of also a frame for this show to a lesser degree as we get later into the seasons, right? But certainly in this first season, we start to get that Chase and the rest of the team are really interested in people's subconscious mm -hmm. and they're interested in people's underlying psyche. And I yeah. guess we start to see that with this first dream sequence. Yeah. I love the reflection. I love that we like really focus on Melfi's legs. It's mm -hmm. kind of reflective of the first scene of the first episode where we have right. the legs of the statue. Right. I like that it's then reflected later on where she like in their actual session where she's pulling down her skirt end. a little bit at the end. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, because and we'll get there perhaps later, but there is definitely kind of this book ending of the episode with, with Melfi's legs and, and mm -hmm. kind of this, it's, it's kind of, somewhat sexualized in terms of her character and the way that she comes across in the dream. But then also in the end of the episode, and something that I thought was interesting is that in some ways Tony's in control yeah. in his dream, but he's also in that last session of the episode, he's somewhat in control in terms of the topic kind of comes to this casual violence. And all of a sudden he's not so much he's the like one an who's, expert in that he's an expert and yeah. you can see it in his body language and totally. her body language he actually kind of takes control of that session he's actually the one who's kind of leading it i love the way he kind of like leans back into the chair like, yeah to listen to her it's really great yeah no totally there's some other maybe just to focus on the therapy sessions we don't often talk about them as a unit kind of in themselves because they're so interspersed through the episodes and some episodes we have very few but Carmela made some interesting comments on therapy today when she and Tony were discussing yeah. his therapy, right? It's the first time we hear that she, you know, misrefers to his therapist as a man, which is yeah. comes back later. But she also has some great lines. Like she says, if the therapy didn't hurt, it wouldn't be helping. Right. Um, in terms of his coping. Tony references, you know, he, we see Tony actually listening a lot to um, 
to Melfi's advice, right? He gets that elder book, even though he says, I'm not gonna have time to read a book. Right. Uh, and so we see, and then we, then we see how this is impacting a lot of his choices that he's making by, by listening to Melfi and by having his great ideas that he has in therapy. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I thought in the dream, it was interesting. Um, some of the things that we're seeing again, the there's a painting behind Sill as he kind of enters right. that waiting room of nature again. Also, I was surprised. Something that caught me immediately in the very first scene when he sees Melfi is that kind of bright backdrop through the oh, window. Yeah. And I was actually thinking, well, that's odd because I remember remarking in one of the earlier episodes mm -hmm. that we saw the nature behind her. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how they control that and make a choice of what you see. But later on, obviously, you see Hesh walking through the wilderness behind her. And it's so dreamlike, yeah. And then we're, it's very clear that we're in a dream. But there's actually something that was kind of striking me immediately just by that decision. That's interesting. We talked about that a little bit in last But weeks. there's definitely uh, a focus on nature, both in the paintings and outside. Uh, and what we're seeing, and again, I feel like that's kind of this representation of the eternal. And when we start to tie in Jackie, it's him reflecting on mortality and him reflecting on Jackie's life and how that's clearly something that he's dealing with and thinking about at that time. We also see him go to a gardening shop, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Jeremy's dad's flower shop yeah but the scene we kind of get a lead in there is him going he has some kind of bug problem and he's looking to mm. kill them yeah and the guy offers him it's like pretty hits you pretty over the head with it but the guy's like i have this blue product yeah blue uh i have this product and it's it's bio, it's bio yeah. friendly or yeah. like environmentally friendly and he was like i don't no, want that i want ddt yeah and yeah. the guy's like that's illegal or whatever yeah. he says but that's also in terms of Tony's control over nature, right? right. That's kind of how he And also the is. toxicness of his sure. approach to dealing with things. Yeah. That it kills other things around him. Right? Yeah. And that's interesting. I think that this episode starts to introduce the aspect of collateral damage. I think we really start to see that in a couple different instances of Tony's actions. If we follow them and see the impact, it's really impacting other people in a negative way. Mm. So we have, for instance, while he's at the flower shop, we see Jeremy's dad. And I thought it was really interesting the way that those two characters are set up. He's kind of, Tony's kind of seeming dominant. He's holding this hatchet, which yeah. is clearly scaring him. He's wearing a pink shirt, which seems, yeah. there seems to be this kind of like emasculating aspect to him talking to Tony yeah. in that, Tony was in control, even though Tony was ha trying to have a normal relationship. Yeah, like a and dad just be, to dad be thing. Be friendly. Yeah. That can exist because of the Who undercurrent is? of the situation. Also, of course, him employing Vin McKazian to go after Dr. Melfi and um, her, her partner, her boyfriend, who becomes completely emasculated by the end. Yeah. And becomes a shell of his former self, can't really operate with his, within his own life. And we really start to see that Tony's actions and decisions really have this kind of toxic negative effect on well, the we, people. We see the effect on AJ, right? Like that it impacts him at school, which is an environment that you wouldn't relate to Tony and the mob, right? Like mm -hmm. that shouldn't have an impact on it, but it obviously does. Right. Um, right. And I feel like the events that are unfolding at the school are kind of this reflection of Tony's life, which is interesting to think about the generational aspect of this show and to think about how things could be repeating themselves in the new generation. So we see this power struggle between Corrado and Tony, and to a lesser extent, we see this power struggle between AJ and Jeremy. Right. This kind of high school, childlike, immature kind of conflict that they're having. But I think that the episode is definitely trying to connect them, and there's definitely a relationship between those mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. I want to go back, just we were talking about being emasculated, and I think that that's obviously, we were talking a little bit about gender in our last episode. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that that's such a big topic, right? Like being a man and what kind of it is to be a man. But we see we see times when Tony's in these like clearly feminine spaces. Like you commented on it when he was visiting Livia, mm -hmm. and right. there was behind him this this painting of a all, group, of, a group women. of women all in a circle. She was sitting on like the furniture was just very ornate and mm -hmm. feminine, not like when we see him in 
even like his house is very is quite masculine like the furniture in his house is big and kind of commandeering um we see him at the bing a couple times in this episode but then we see him in this clearly feminine space and he sometimes looks very small and like right diminutive in a lot of ways in terms of and we've said this before but with tony's character if you look at the kind of pyramid of power that exists within the mob and Mm. and that this kind of paradigm that he exists in, he's kind of beholden to his mother. Like she's the one who has power over him. And we really see that play out. And more and more of this viewing, I'm really feeling Livia's deliberate actions and her, her power and the way that she manipulates people. I feel like every time I've seen it, it becomes more and more apparent how aware she is of that. And and maybe that is Tony's uncomfort in that environment. And the fact that that painting behind them, which I think now we can see kind of a a history of examples of this show using paintings, especially with the empty chair that was such a pivotal part mm-hmm. uh, in the previous episode. Um, we can really tell that that is an, impor- an important device in this show to mm-hmm. communicate something. And I, and I think that's definitely very deliberate in, in that scene. Totally. And we also see that Livia is really the only person who does have control over Tony. I think we've said this before. But even when um, in his first encounter with Junior in this episode, I forget the lead up to it. But basically the first thing Junior, oh, like Tony says he's coming there with respect or something mm-hmm. like that. And he was like, respect? You put your mother in a home yeah. and leave her out to pasture? Like for junior mm-hmm. disrespecting your mom right or that relationship with his mom is like a sign of a character deficiency right, right. like if oh if you do that then you're not a respectful character right um and so i don't know like generally generationally if those relationships are changing or different right we see lots of instances where meadow and aj are super shitty to carmella right we don't see that level of respect there at all tony actually does respect like he right. treats her actually with <laughs> It's almost like those principles get gradually worse and worse by generation. Yeah. And it's really interesting in this show and this episode in particular where we can really clearly see the attitudes of three different generations operating at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Each with their own conflicts and dealing with them in different ways and seeing how perhaps through the actions of all these characters how that impacts their offspring. But seeing how over time those principles and those values do get watered down. And do become less important. I loved in that scene at Green Grove, um, the little power struggle over the macaroons. Yeah. I find it super interesting. Also, I I mean, I love, I love the acting. Yeah. Seeing, you know, Livia, Livia's face kind of light up and, you know, seeing them, we do, we are obviously in on the secret that this is kind of her favorite thing and then shutting down on it, kind of choosing to not. Well, it was childish, right? And that's the thing. And Junior was childish. And so I love how Melfi uses that example then when she recommends that elder book. Elder Care, I think. Elder Care book, Which is reading at the Bing later. Yeah. But (laughs) she says, like, you know, what she says is important is letting people feel like they're in control. She's referring to children. Um, But both Livia and Junior often act like babies. They act like... Yeah little brats sometimes <laughs> well they all do yeah well they way. all do sure sure i thought it was interesting too thinking of the macaroons kind of demonstrating the power struggles that exist in the show seeing something so mundane and small representing something so much larger mm. actually kind of reminded me of phantom thread the amazing oh, yeah. pt anderson movie that came out recently mm-hmm. but yeah looking at things on this kind of small scale to kind of sum up these power struggles is, is super interesting. And I think that the show does a great job. And I think that for a show like this that seemingly has such a large and ambitious scale of this kind of mob story, and it's constantly focusing on these little details, I think there's so much going on within the little details that are yeah. actually summing up what's happening. Even that there's like one macaroon that's kind of off the plate, right? Yeah. He like shakes them onto the plate, and there's one that's just not on the plate, and he doesn't even... Yeah. Fix it, right? He just leaves it that way. I wonder, I like yeah. He does say, he, he talks to her about how she doesn't interact with the other ladies. And you have this group behind her of this kind of circle of ladies. I, don't know, I wonder if 
maybe it has something to do with her. Same way that we saw kind of Chris isolated from the group in the first episode. Yeah, that but kind then of... we see her, like, she she and Rosalie at the funeral at the end, we're all over the place, but she and Rosalie <laughs> at the end are on either side of Junior, yeah. on either side of Corrado. And so I find that interesting because clearly they are extremely important. Extremely right? important. And that, that did strike me. Yeah. You see her really at the center of things. And yet... <laughs> The conversation that they're having on the side, Tony, we get that that power pyramid is now kind of being manipulated by Tony for his own ends. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of maintaining the image of that power structure, mm-hmm. but manipulating it in his own way so that he actually maintains the bulk of the power. Yeah. So that's really interesting because for optics, it really does seem like they're right. at the center and the height of the pyramid. And we and, see that by the photographers focusing in that direction, yeah. too. Yeah. And yet, at the end of this, we're, it's being suggested that that's actually kind of breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. And just to go back really quickly to just women and um, Livia and Rosalie, we also see in that scene, although, yes, they're focused on and they're clearly people of importance, it's Rosalie April's husband's funeral yeah. and everyone's coming over and shaking hands with Junior. Right. Right? So it's like a tool. Right. Um, which yeah. made me sad for her. And we get to, yeah. we get to know Rosalie more later. But. Yeah, and the focus isn't on her, at or least him, as a viewer. Or him, really. Or no, on Jackie. It's actually know? really, the way that that scene is set up, My at least my focus was kind of drawn to Junior at the center with Livia next to him. Yeah. They kind of see almost like a power couple. Almost like a couple, sorts. for sure. And I guess that does play into, I feel like Livia is playing this game. She totally. is involved in this game, and she is a part of this totally power dynamic. Well, then we like there's so many things in this show that are like we don't see, right? We we skip in time quite a bit. So I'm I'm always wondering like how did she get there to the funeral, right? Who picked her up and hmm. brought her there? Did you right. pick her up and bring right. her there? Um, so I love those little like clearly she was an important person to have there, right? Right. And so that's interesting. And that maybe that explains why, you know, Junior's so affronted by the fact that Tony has put her there, yeah. placed her there. I don't know what is preferable, yeah. mind you. Yeah. But. One thing I found really interesting about the scene with Livia in the home mm. is that right before that, we have the scene where Christopher and Adriana pick up Meadow yeah. at the school. And he's kind of shaking her down. And she says, I hate being a life. soprano. Yeah. I hate my life. And he says, that's blasphemy. Don't ever say that. So immediately we're given a window into Chris, who's all over the place right now. He's this kind of self-destructive character and this kind of crazy guy. Um, He does hold that principle very dear. He Mm. does value life and he's, that's off limits for him. Mm. And then when we transfer to the home, all Olivia does is complain about her life. Yeah. She just complains about life. So... Clearly, there's been a disconnect somewhere, generally, generationally, in terms of that value right. of life. She's lost that. But I just thought that it was fascinating because that really differentiates those two characters. And I think Tony, too. We do see that he does value life. We see later yeah. in the show that is something that's very important to him and something that differentiates himself from his mother. There's a lot of moments we see Tony in this episode. We have, I feel like there's a lot to talk about, even though I don't have a lot of notes today. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah, well, there always is uh, a lot to talk about this. <laughs> but show. we see a lot of scenes of Tony in this episode where, oh, it, again, it's like you just really empathize, not empathize necessarily, but you really just like, like him. Like the smile that he gives to AJ at yeah. the funeral. The picture of <laughs> AJ and his dad that's on AJ's mantelpiece. <sighs> yeah. Uh, when they play Nintendo, there's like a couple yeah. of these moments. Yeah. You just really like These them. are great examples, I think, <laughs> and we've talked about this now before, of these examples that are seemingly so endearing. And yet all of those, if you actually think about yeah. them, they're kind of horrible. Yeah, he's coming from his girlfriend's house and he sits down and plays Nintendo with AJ. And covers his eyes and cheats. Yeah. Also, very important, <laughs> most important part of this particular <laughs> podcast a, you cannot play Nintendo 64 by just moving the directional pad. No, definitely. That would not work. He was using the joystick. Also, <laughs> he just sits down and says he wants to play with AJ. And then he AJ's playing a one-player game. Now they're playing a two-player game. This is huge plot holes, inconsistencies. How did they do it? This is a huge problem. I was very upset. Yeah, it's This upsetting. is, so far in The Sopranos, probably my biggest disappointment. Yeah. My other disappointment of this episode... <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Yes. As somebody who grew up in the 90s, yeah, that was yeah, very yeah. upsetting. Yeah. I, I do like all the mushroom cuts that I see at AJ's school. There's some great Whenever mush I, cuts. I, I, was in, I was in middle and high school in the 90s slash early 2000s. And I, the clo- every item of clothing that I see Meadow wear or mm. that I see, like, the kids in the schools wear when we do see them, I am like, I wore that. Right. It, for me, it's very nostalgic. And that's why maybe in some ways, like, it doesn't, it doesn't have a feeling of being an old show. It just feels very yeah. real to me. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. what high school looks like because I mean, that's how it looked yeah. when I was in high school, right? Yeah, so. we might be a little dated <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, but anyways, to go back to the the one moment that – Felt, besides the Nintendo 64, it was obviously very upsetting. Mm. The one scene, and this may be one of the only times this happens in this show, I'll try to keep track of them, but the one scene I didn't find believable was when Melfi started talking about her experience with Randall hmm. getting beat up. We just talked last week about kind of the believability of the female characters in this show right. as compared to other shows, and that was a moment where I was like, I don't think Melfi would really do this. Perhaps not. And yet, I think it also speaks to Tony's the duress kind of, that people are under yeah. when they're dealing with this post-traumatic stress. Yeah. She's talking to her... You were your better name. Randall. 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 Okay. I thought it was Randall. She's talking to him about going to seek counsel from a post-traumatic stress counselor. Right. People are clearly responding to that kind of stress in their life and that kind of toxicity stemming from Tony in different ways and they don't really know how to deal with it and typically it kind of veers their life a little bit off course and I think that happens to Melfi. Well we see it in later seasons yeah. when you know other terrible things happen to Melfi but it, it just seemed I, don't, I didn't feel like we were there yet with her in her relationship with Tony that she would kind of veer so much from her professional role but I but right. I also like I mean that is, we see her later talking to her own therapist who's only mentioned here. What's his name? Elliot. Elliot, Elliot Kupferberg. Kupferberg. <laughs> and so he's mentioned here. We see her later really talking about how challenging this therapeutic relationship that she has with Tony is. Yeah. So I under, and it's put her out of her professional. Yeah. Mm, regu- like her regular professional self. It's something that's kind of different. And she does, it does introduce this topic for her, which she brings up, which she calls casual violence. Mm. And actually, it's it stems from that scene starts, Tony's talking about the first time I saw a dead body very nonchalantly. We just kind of start the scene there. Yeah. That's where he is in the, in the session. And in some ways, I can see these things are linked. And it's, the conversation is leading there. The topics are leading there. And Melfi is engaging in the topic and has been affected by this casual violence the soprano world is kind of closed in on her a little bit, and this is her responding to that. Is it the most professional? No, but perhaps it is believable yeah. that she just doesn't know how to respond to it, and yeah. this is what happens. In some ways, we even see it in Tony's dream. Like, her office is full of, well, Tony and AJ mm-hmm. and then all these other mob guys. Well, also- and the mob guys are in her hallway, right? We see yeah. that uh, is, Silvio's dentist is, is, across the, is across the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the introduction of these kind of seaside themes? We see all throughout the episode these kind of ocean-related mm. objects and names. It's, I know. It's interesting. I mean, so many. We have when they go see Brendan, there's this boat show mm-hmm. going on. We have when he goes to Corrado's outside is ocean and sea view. Mm-hmm. We have the first thing that Jackie says in the hospital is, I've got a fish in my pocket. Yeah, the picture lot. of Tony and AJ and the fish. And the fish. Yeah, definitely. For me, the f- picture of AJ, Tony, and the fish is kind of what um, did kind of bring some clarity to it. I think, especially outside um, Corrado's restaurant where they have this sit-down called the sit tight the sit tight i know sit tight lounge annette yeah we start to have this relationship between the mob and that world and these kind of ocean themes Mm. these kind of sea topics so when you have aj looking at this picture of him and his dad and this what he thought of as this kind of loving Mm. you know moment that he's reflecting on again these kind of seemingly humanizing portraits of tony 
there's something behind it. And there's something that seems so weird now when we look at that big fish, actually they've established the fish and these ocean creatures mm. as something that's actually associated with the violence in the mob world. And we definitely see that come later. Yeah. And, you know, sleeping with the fishes. Sleeping with the fishes. Well, well actually, even I noticed when they go to the website, yeah. it actually says on that front page, oh, like, John Gaudian is, like, sleeping with the oh, fishes. Shit. There's so many things that are related to That's crazy. The ocean. Well, it links yeah. back to Meadowlands, the title of the episode, yeah. right? Because we've driven through there. We've never it's stopped beautiful. there. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, you know, you don't stop in, in Meadowlands because <laughs> it's just this, like, swampy disgusting like polluted area yeah but apparently that is somewhere where there's lots of bodies to be found right so and, again yeah. like yeah fish maybe live there i don't know yeah but definitely. something pastoral sounding too but on it's such a, and I, so, inspection yeah I, not so much the title is a weird one because of course like me, it, i don't know i always try to feel like it should be connected somehow to meadow i haven't been able to make that work it's a lot that it's her name is Meadow yeah, and the title is Meadowlands. We see her so briefly yeah. in and this yet, episode. And yet, great performance by great her Great performance. And we see her a lot in next yeah. week's episode. So, yeah. you know. She's the one, though, who kind of directs AJ to mm -hmm. this knowledge. Well, she clearly has it, right? We see that in the scene with Chris when he picks her up at school and she's like, ah, another FBI raid. Like, yeah. she's used to this. Like, she's yeah. old enough. They're that much older than AJ that she gets it right mm -hmm. she knows why the kids are like laughing at aj and saying he's always oh, scared of you you know um so she's wise to it and she directs aj to that wonderful website yeah but anyways yeah but that's so like again with this seaside imagery um water fish yeah. That's something definitely that comes up again and again, so we'll yeah. just have to keep paying Well, that attention. definitely, we'll definitely be seeing more of that. Also, the song at the end of this episode during the credits, Look Down, Look On Down From The Bridge. Right. Well, and last time we watched this, you were pretty obsessed with the bridges. There's a lot of bridges. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of bridges. And I think that having that song come in during this funeral, we're definitely linking bridges to death. There's something also interesting about it. I've been thinking we live in New York mm -hmm. and been going through Jersey occasionally. To go when, to Holston's. To go. We've gone to Holston's. I've, yeah. Yeah. It's my last Holston's run wasn't that long ago. And um, anyway. <laughs> oh, I just got distracted. That I'm, yeah. We, we went to Holston's, which is where the last scene of the show happens. And we were going as big Sopranos fans. But it's kind of an amazing place in Bloomfield, I believe, mm. which actually I guess referenced in this episode. That's true. Wow, the casino. Deep, but super deep. Now I'm really distracted. Yeah, onion no, rings. Yeah, the onion rings, best mm. in the state. Mm. Okay, we got to kind of get on focus. The ice cream's distracting. But anyway, traveling through New Jersey, I do think that even outside of the metaphorical side of bridges, there's something about the imagery that's just so. It just kind of sums up this show, but it also kind of sums up New Jersey for me mm. or something. It's just like, well, it, it's just a look. When you're when you're traveling through those parts of New Jersey, it's kind of overwhelming. It's industrial. It's industrial. It's... There's so many bridges going everywhere. It really just does kind of have this visual feel mm -hmm. to it. But we see a lot of key scenes happen on bridges too. Not we do. In the, not in this episode per se, but we saw one in, is it episode two? Yeah, uh, maybe the first episode, actually, the first episode. where they're threatening. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then we see another Just... one later this season with our friend Vin, Vin Kazian, who we haven't talked scene. about yet. But yeah. I, I, think they're, I think they're of importance. We see a lot of scenes throughout the series that David Chase clearly put in front of a bridge for a reason. We're we yeah. often see them, like, behind Tony. Yeah. It's definitely a pieces. deliberate symbol. Yeah. But we'll pay attention. And yeah. I, I don't know if we had it figured out on our last viewing. But mm -hmm. maybe. Well, yeah, we're going to we'll continue visiting it as, you know, as they're introduced throughout the episodes. Yeah. But there's definitely an aspect of. But they have to do with water, too. There's also something, though, about these traveling through New Jersey and seeing mm -hmm. this industry on this these kind of like wide open land spaces. That's basically all highway bridges and mm. factories. Mm. I feel like these were things that were built during a different generation and they've been kind of run down. And I yeah. think that that's something that we're seeing coming in at the end. It's better to be in at the beginning. 
this show is looking at the degradation of these this this community yeah, of America on the in, whole industrious yeah and now we look at it as kind of this like ugly industrial yeah and area. infrastructure maybe even mm. investing in infrastructure yeah. as a society and basically just letting it rot yeah no I like that kind of like how we see with the cathedral building and things like that exactly too, which was maybe even a generation before that in some ways yeah I like it Exactly. I want to. Can we talk a little bit about Vin McKazian? Because he's. I yeah. forgot that. I forgot that he's only in season one. I think he makes yeah. like a dream appearance later on. Don't we see him? We see him in a might. dream. Yeah. I think. It's crazy how many new characters come in I in know. this episode. I mean, we have, we have uh, Jimmy Altieri, Ray Curto. Yeah. Yeah. We that have Vin McKazian. Yeah. We also. It's also interesting to hear them talk about uh, Urkel DeMeo. Yeah. The, uh, the actual the actual boss of the family yeah. who kind of is shrouded in mystery we never i think we see maybe like a video clip of him or something like that at some point i'll have to (laughs) track it but yeah he's a mystery right like we we're kind of led into this family in a really interesting way where it's at first we think tony's the boss right then we realize there's this guy jackie who's the boss but now he's dead yeah and who's on who's very disorienting. And we hear it in this like vi- in this news clip, right? Yeah. We're not told this information. They reference the old guy. Yeah. They talk about New York vaguely. Yeah. But we don't really get it. Um, yeah, and it's funny, like you know, in terms of like looking back on those golden era times or whatever it might be, right? Where this or this DeMeo guy would have been the actual boss in real life. <laughs> I love when we go to the sit-tight loungeonette. Mm-hmm. It is such an old-timey-looking place. Yeah. And we go in, and Junior's sitting there with two guys who the camera never focuses on. We focus yeah. on one guy's fedora really clearly. <laughs> and the other guy is also wearing something old-timey. I'm not sure. And they never, they're not even speaking, right? We only hear Junior speak. And right. so they're kind of these almost like ghostly mm-hmm creatures too like who the fuck are they <laughs> like what where how are they related to soprano to yeah. to junior yeah are they his guy like are they yeah. his captains like yeah. who are those guys? i know we kind of see we their see the reaction muscle, the muscle guy yeah. in the background we know yeah. he's some kind well of and muscle. we see after tony and junior in the end of the episode kind of make up on this conflict we see them being happy in the back yeah. and responding yeah. to the drama unfolding <laughs> they're clearly related but they're so somehow. peripheral yeah but they're it's kind of like that this was a, this was totally a different era right where they sit around and have lunch when we see tony and his guys doing it we see a scene actually i think it's kind of close and no he leaves the bing and then he goes there we see him eating lobster with all those guys at Again, the bing lobster right lobster is such an ocean food yeah, yeah. anyways but I think it's it is that kind of like we were saying with the bridges and the industry too. It's like from this time past that yeah. you could never create something like the sit tight loungeonette no anymore. Just like and you would never have some dude with a fedora sitting there eating lunch with you. Right. It's this kind of um, I think it was was it Sopranos Autopsy we were reading, which we love if we haven't mentioned that before. We have. <laughs> but we okay, do love it but we love it yeah um they talk about that it's i forget how he put it he's an amazing writer but something about it being like about how the past is a time that is it's we can romanticize it and we remember it in some ways but we can never go back to it yeah we're always revisiting it within the within our own time yeah. right? and within our own kind of like values of the yeah. time so when we see these characters who are like struggling to move forward from olden days, which we see Junior a lot, right? Like he wants to run the mob like the mob used to be run yeah. uh, now that he's boss. But you can't. You can't ever go back to that. You always, you know, you, it's this kind of ghost that you can't really see or visit. So yeah. I, I like, I don't know. I forget exactly what he said. But uh, I want to talk about... McKayzian, if that's okay. Please. Um, I love, I mean, the writing in this show is just like so tight. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's and incredible. And so we're, we, we see this guy peeing, okay? <laughs> this is first scene. I think that scene, I, I wanted to go back actually and like time that scene. I think the scene is probably under a minute. Yeah. And. Oh, yeah. I would say so and for sure. And we 
know just based on this dialogue that doesn't come out right and say anything, like we know he's a cop because Tony yeah. says like, oh, you want us to go down to the station and yeah. have a meeting there, right? We yeah. get all this information on yeah. this dude. We know what kind of character he is. Yeah. He has two alimonies to pay. Yeah. Later he's... on in the in the episode, he's saying, what should I put my money on for the big game? Yeah. These throwaway lines that in any other show would be meaningless or just yeah. kind of filler. But later on, that actually is related to the drama and the relationships totally. and the plot development yeah we, so nothing's wasted yeah but we're thrown into this like old relationship that he and tony have clearly had over yeah. time but we're also so we have two scenes or no we don't have two scenes with him. we have two scenes with him and tony we have when they're setting up this melfi following and then we have when he's where they're in that industrial space and he's like filling in tony on yeah what he found out and in that scene where he's telling tony about what he found out and says that thing about the bet that he should place his money on Tony is disgusted with him. Like, Tony thinks that that yeah. guy is scum. Yeah. And I feel like he says that in later episodes. I'll have to, again, pay attention to that. But yeah. Tony looks at him with this look of just, like, disgust. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is one of those things that's really funny because he's, uh, Tony's obvious, arguably, maybe, a, like, a way more disgusting person. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or, or not. Because of a more negative impact on um, more people. On people, but he really, this look he gives them is yeah. so, and you could, and he's disheveled and he's sweaty and Tony comes yeah. across as very powerful. And I think he calls him a fucking idiot under his breath in Melfi's session I near think, the end I when she's so describing too. what happens. Right, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but he's clearly like disgusted by him. And I, I know that Tony does have a thing against gamblers, right? That's one thing. Yeah. And now he owns this, well, he has this casino in his right. portfolio or right. whatever you want well, to call it. Well, that's an interesting evolution. Right, and so... And also seeing Tony's relationship with gambling yeah. throughout the entire yeah. course of the series. Anyways, I, I just I wanted to talk about McKazian and we'll follow him to the end of this season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, very efficient, very efficient so writing. So efficient writing. Like, it was, I was just blown away by it. And really believable. Knew. Believable totally dialogue. Believable. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to do next? There's a lot to talk about. I know. Shoot. I thought we didn't have as much this week. No, there always is. This has happened now. You feel like there's not a lot in this show. We were going to come on. back to you. mentioned the whole concept of anticlimax. And I, do, I feel like that's a huge part of this episode. Yeah, I do want to focus in on that. And this show. And the show. I mean, we'll, we'll come to some great like quotes later on as themes. we watch. But that whole concept of everything being a big nothing. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, I don't know. The anticlimax thing is is really, I think, is incredible in this yeah. episode. Well, it's incredible in, I think, David Chase's work that he really does show. We've talked about this already in our a couple of episodes. Like he really does write believable characters, and he really does show real life. And so real life doesn't always have a climax. In fact, um, it typically doesn't. Typically doesn't, right? And so I think that that's. Like, real life isn't fiction. Real life isn't yeah. a story. And he writes these characters so realistically that we almost feel like, I don't, I don't know, it's these portrayals of very real characters that go through real life. And I think that's why it's a show that speaks to so many people. Yeah. But we see the anticlimax in, well, multiple different ways in this well, episode. Well, I feel like there's, like, two main narratives in this yeah. episode. And I think that they mirror each other. And they're yeah. supposed to mirror each other. Um this kind of symmetry to Tony and Junior's conflict mm -hmm. and Tony and, or sorry. No, and Anthony a and, and AJ Jeremy. and Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah. AJ and Jeremy. So I feel like both of those are kind of unfolding the same way. We have this issue that kind of exists between them and how do they resolve it? And both of them end up in a place that nobody would have really expected from watching a show like this on on first glance, you would kind of think that this would unfold in a traditional kind of Hollywood blockbuster way with fireworks and fights mm. and going to the a mattresses. clear winner going to the mattresses, which is, I think is even referenced. It is they referenced do. in they this. They say nobody goes, Ray Curto says Ray that. Cur no, yeah, that nobody, nobody goes, goes to the mattresses, mattresses these days. And at the end of this episode, you have Tony basically just surrendering to Junior, at least even though, even though he comes in heavy, he, but he doesn't he, want to. He comes in heavy, he doesn't want to, and really he has a plan. But yeah. it's not a climactic ending to that, to that conflict. And then with AJ, we have, you know, him just receiving forty dollars, and I think nothing sums it up more than the awkward yeah, clapping boo. at the end and somebody just saying boo. <laughs> that 
was amazing. Yeah. I loved that. Also love the humor in the show and the kind <laughs> of amazing. subtle moments I like know. that. But I think that kind of sub sums it up. There's not a climax to all these narratives and that's kind of where a lot of this leads. We're expecting something and David Chase loves to play with that. He loves to bring it somewhere that is a lot less than we expected. Yeah, but that in a way almost like it almost trips up your I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is like it disorients you it in does. such a way because you're expecting you're kind of building up your own adrenaline towards even though we know it was going to happen right but you still do like he's so good at building up that sense of uh, anxiety yeah. and like dread and whatever and so you're waiting for that release and you don't really get it and yeah. the way that you do get it in kind of disorients you and doesn't satisfy you it puts you off in the best way yeah it's in amazing. such a cool way there were some interesting things they did to link, I think, those two narratives that were mm. going on. One thing that I thought was really interesting is they have Tony beating up Mikey, and they have, um, we have the exact same sound effects <laughs> as um, when uh, we have AJ and Jeremy fighting, oh, punching each other. Yeah. These kind of super overdone punching noises. But again, it was, they evoke each other. Yeah. There's definitely a parallel like a, between them. Like an old Batman cartoon. Yeah. You know, when they're like, pow! Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but even the way that those two things unfold, we kind of see them unfolding the same way. Also, like a tendency to resort to violence. Mm. I thought it was interesting. I thought it, it tied into Tony playing this game with his son and kind of covering his eyes and... Almost, there's something almost violent about it for me. It's just kind of, it's kind of aggressive. He's, you know, kind of covering his eyes and really kind of dominating. Mm. One thing actually I thought was interesting there too is in the back of that room, even this, again, a seemingly endearing humanizing moment, we see a Mario Puzo book, the author of The Godfather, uh. on the table. So for me, again, it's like any of these domestic moments and these family moments are inseparable from what's happening in his other life. He has two families and you can never have a moment of domestic bliss. It's impossible. Mm. There's always something of the mob coming in. Mm. And violence is, of course, it's going to come into AJ's life. Yeah. And of course, it came into Tony's life. And a central question of the show is, could he have es escaped it? And it's complicated. But there's all these forces acting on these characters to turn them into a certain type of person. And we start to see that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of forces moving towards turning AJ into a violent person. Yeah. I think Carmela captures it, actually, in... Uh, interesting way when she like she's so focused on with Tony's therapy like do you talk about our marriage do you yeah. like and she says it a bunch of times when he's really dealing with the other family yeah. in his therapy even though maybe yeah. he should be dealing with his biological yeah. family in some ways yeah. but I thought like that's a kind of a way that that tied those two things together absolutely too. yeah yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, in this episode, we have Tony thinking of leaving therapy and then getting ideas for that fit. He's going there, ostensibly, for help and counseling on his family life, yeah. but he receives advice and ideas for how to better act within the mob family. Better manipulate, yeah. Yeah, how to better manipulate. And that actually, at the end, he talks about, oh, it's actually, it's going great for coping. You know, he kind yeah, of throws that I in, know. but clearly... He's using this for, you know, not the best end. Yeah. What do you think? What else? I definitely have some stray observations. Sure, let's but, do it. Well, let's see. We have, uh, again, I was talking about the kind of connection of Christopher saying, don't ever say that, God's kind of yeah. going over the line. and. We have Livia with her malcontent with life. And we also have Tony talking to Vin McKazian about one of his first lines to him is he's asking, are you bored with your life? Mm, so that, boredom is big in this show too. Boredom's big. And I think that idea of like, how do you live your life? And there's an aspect of this mundane, mm. there's a mundane aspect to it. And there's questions of purpose, mm. questions of lack of purpose in a lot of people's mm -hmm. lives and what does it mean and, and boredom. And as entertaining as the show is, there is this kind of way that things are put together that is kind of very bleak. 
Yeah. And very sparse. Well, I love like when Tony has his panic attack, right? You'd think it was going to be, I don't know, you know, at some other key moment, but he has it after he, some he, apple brings, juice. he brings in some groceries and puts some apple juice away and then he and yet, falls, falls clear, over. Clear framing of greenery and nature outside yeah. in that scene. We see his windows looking into his backyard, looking at trees. Yeah. It's very kind well, of... Well, then that's after the scene where he's getting this bug killer or whatever yeah. too. But then we also see that this, in terms of this mundane, like when Tony has Mackenzie and follow Melfi, the way he describes her life, like, mm -hmm. and she describes her own life in a similar way when she's recounting this story to Tony later. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, she gets to the office at eight. She leaves at six. She orders a Diet Coke and tuna sub. And then yeah. later she says the same thing. She's like, I feel like I'm out of touch. I just like mm -hmm. come to the office and live this life. So. Yeah. But I think boredom gets to be a bigger theme, maybe even the later seasons yeah definitely yeah. i think so we have really fascinating in tony and carmela's not a ton of interaction between them in this episode but carmela interpreting or just basically stating that the assuming that the psychiatrist is a man yeah and what i loved about that is it goes a few times and for us as viewers it's uncomfortable but tony doesn't correct her but it's also, but we see he it. also just had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. It's not really, he's disoriented and he doesn't go out of his way to deceive her. But she says it a few times and they really establish that. And then he says he. He, yeah. So he acknowledges you that. you see his face. He, go, he crosses yeah. the line there. He deliberately deceives. Yeah. And obviously that's going to come back to be an issue. Yeah. But it's just really interesting to see the writing and to see how that scene mm -hmm. unfolds and to see also Tony cross that line. Because for a moment, he he's not a great guy, but at least <laughs> he doesn't cross that line yeah. of deliberately manipulating. Misleading or whatever. Misleading. Yeah. Um, again, in this, I, I feel like there's in these parallels between the AJ and the Tony storylines, there's this kind of like infantile aspect of the conflicts mm -hmm. we have you were saying like childish yeah. chi very childish and we have you know junior acting in Livy acting they're being they're being like kids and that's what melfi says you know she says they're like kids and she talks about giving them the illusion of being being in control and that ends up being what holds him back from quitting psychiatry because it's this idea that he then uses but he's essentially using a strategy to manipulate children yeah. but everybody's kind of acting like a child here well, i say that all the time in my teaching right I, well sometimes I, I catch you i think yeah. using your your childhood techniques on yeah me. i used to teach preschool and i use the same tactics on adults all the time mm, it's easy it's pretty successful easy psychiatry um the one thing i was gonna I forgot to say when we were talking more about Junior, but I think it's relevant too. There's this one line, and I think it's Jimmy, who we don't. I love how we they don't tell us anyone's name. Like you just have to know their names. These people, yeah. Like we only find them out later. I but know. I think it's Jimmy who says um, about Junior when they're at the Bing and they're talking about who's going to succeed. Um, he says, or maybe it's Ray Curto actually, to okay. be honest. But he says, "Oh yeah, Junior, he's living in the wrong." wrong century you know it new york knows it right and that's also like one of the first times we hear about new, new york, york right we have a we have uh, interestingly livia earlier in the episode there's like this trip to new york and she has all these negative feelings about new mm -hmm. york which i imagine she would have been exposed to the new york crew right. when she was younger or when johnny boy was still alive probably but she has these weird like she's like men defecating themselves and women throwing babies right. out of windows and right she has all the like she thought this is what she thinks of new york but we we clearly see that there's <laughs> i mean we live in new york and i do see that all the time the, maybe the yeah the i threw first a one. few babies out of a window today and yeah. it was we just it's you normal. know we it's had a little party normal. with our neighbors and just threw some some yeah window babies but I, I like that difference and i mean we i mean we're not native new yorkers but there is this kind of tension between New York and New Jersey, right? Right. Like, I think New Jersey. Ooh, here you go. You got to be careful. Sucks. Oh, no. <laughs> but that's okay to each their own. But there is this tension. And people, and people who live in these nice houses in New Jersey mm -hmm. think that my life sucks. Right. And it's all about your perspective, right? right? And that's the cool thing about, like I said, I think maybe last week, this show yeah. is that it is like perspective is so important right and so we get these glimpses into how other people see things totally 
in the show as well. I'm totally. sorry, New Jersey. I, I think you're okay. <laughs> yeah? You think so? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hmm. What sorry. else? Sorry for from New Jersey. Um, I love in the Bada Bing, there's these kind of like surreal, kind of like polar opposite matchings of things that hmm. are just kind of like very off-putting for me. We have Tony in this strip club reading a book on elder care. Yeah. Um, you know, we have Christopher walking in on this really solemn Aww. moment. Uh, we have, you know, the, the dancer saying, I'll never forget where I was yeah. on this day. Um, and then she's kind back of to dancing like a second contrast. later. Yeah. I think also Christopher, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he talks about, we should be going to DEFCON 4. I think he has yeah. that backwards. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's really interesting. This kind of the backwards and this kind of like yeah. weird pairings. Um, what else? Do you have some observations? Some I think things? they kind of got all my observations, actually. I was trying to be more concise. Okay. I loved I'm trying to think small things. There was a great scene where Tony grabs the staple gun, what? and we have it, and he's, oh, in yeah. the, he's in the hospital, and you have this kind of, like, X cross yeah. of these bars, and you just see the legs of I the construction worker. But it's great. Yeah, even just the composition of that shot, the X draws your attention to that staple gun, even if you're not <laughs> thinking about it. And then, Ugh. of course, he takes it and uses it to great effect. Yeah, shortly I love after. how we don't see Mikey for the rest of that episode. We just like he's talked about, but he's not at the funeral. At least we don't see him right. at the funeral. Um, he just gets mentioned, like, "Oh, Mikey, something, something." <laughs> yeah. Um, I know we see him later on, but yeah, but that casual violence is Ooh, definitely that, a part of this show and so part of their life. Crazy. Well. I think we were talking about how we thought there wasn't that much to talk about in this episode, no, and I think talked. we've maybe even done the longest one. Oh, so shit. it seems All like right. there just seems to be more and more we gotta wrap to talk it about up. as time goes on. All, All right. right, wrap it up. But this is in at the end. This was fun. We're very excited for next yeah. next week, next episode, college. Oof. Possibly one of the greatest Soprano episodes. I'm, we'll see after we watch it. I mean, these they're all incredible episodes. They're all great episodes, but there's something about that one. That one stands It out. seems like the first masterpiece. It's the one, well, we'll talk about it next week, but it's the one where they really, I think, at least for me, hammer home the two families thing. Yeah. And like, it's so good. It's just a brilliant, it's a brilliant narrative. Yeah. In this Okay, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it next okay, week. We, okay, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. And at the end, see you later. See you later.